Well, this morning, uh, again, one of the, last week we did what I consider some of the most, more, I don't know, more prominent scriptures that we refer to. But Isaiah 43 is another one of those chapters that speak to us about, well, speak to us about God's concern and love for the nation of Israel and also how that, that love and desire translates to us, transfers to us, because we are part of the, we're part of the vine, we're grafted into the, the, the body of Christ, we're the, um, it would be the new Israel, uh, so the covenant that God made with Abraham is a covenant that still applies to the church, so we're grateful for those letters and introductions that we find in the, in the Old Testament, and especially those that speak to us of God's divine providence. So, this chapter has a, uh, a plain connection with, uh, with a close, well, has a close connection with chapter 42. Um, we would, when you look at chapter 42, they are, there's a lot of disobedience, there's stubbornness, there's all this going on, and then uh, you would think, okay, well, after Isaiah addresses the stubbornness of the people and their stiff-neckedness and their rebellion and all that, you would think that it would follow with um, an utter abandonment of the people. You know, straighten up or I'm done with you. But that's not where it goes. <laughs> it goes into this relational experience and this expectation that God has with the nation of Israel in chapter 43. So it begins by saying, but now this is what the Lord says. Now, whenever we, again, we can read phrases and uh, sentences and saying just kind of skip over them. But whenever we are looking at this, this is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. This is what God is saying to us. Okay? So, it, you know, um, there used to be the commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens, you know. Well, it should be that way in, uh, in the uh, scriptures. Whatever it says, verily, verily, I say unto you, I mean, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> Okay, so in this case, it, this is what the Lord says. So Jehovah God is making a declaration, and he's saying this to the nation of Israel. And Jehovah God is one God, which is a stark contrast to the time period in which they are in, because the Mesopotamians, they had many gods, uh, and the um, Egyptians, they had many different gods. But in creation, um, the Mesopotamians had many, and the Egyptians kind of filtered it into one or two gods. So they had many, many gods. But we find where this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. So here we have the grounds of God's care and concern. He formed you, he made you, he, had, he put you here for a purpose. So as the church of Jesus Christ, as the believers in, in Christ and our name written in God's book of life, we find that, that the, the church also finds this position of being with, um, formed in, while we were yet in our mother's womb. God formed us, planned. He had purpose for our life. So he's called us to all these things. Ephesians says, um, Jacob and Israel, though a sinful, miserable condition, shall be looked after for they are God's workmanship created by him unto good works. They are God's workmanship created unto God for good works. So that's kind of like us. 
We are created by God for unto good works. And the verb that is used here speaks of um, a vessel being made, uh, you know, clay, pitcher, clay, piece of clay on a, the spinning board, you know, and you formulate and things. So whenever it's talking about how that we are made, this, this is what it is saying, that God is forming and shaping us into a vessel for his use. So, um, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. So, in all of the rejection, not rejection, but all of the um, bringing them to <laughs> bringing them to justice, <laughs> bring a, a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, the idea of okay, we need to put this. You need to get, you need to get your heart, you need to get your life right. You need to get this going in the right direction. So that's chapter forty-two. But then he says, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you. I've called you by name. You are mine. So we are part of this, that God has summoned us. He has called us, and he has purchased us. And he has, he has rec- we can recognize that we are his. <laughs> so God created them and formed them, formed them from, into a people, a nation. So that we think, well, that's, uh, that's pretty good. God formed them, made them a great nation. But they were a nation of slaves. They had no government. They had no leadership. They, all they knew was their taskmasters. And they were slaves with no understanding of leadership by, by uh, choice. They, they had leadership by whip. So, so whenever they are now coming out of Egypt and coming into this, uh, going to the land that God has promised them, they've got a lot of things to look at. And they've got a lot of things to understand that life, life isn't what it, uh, we thought it would be. Because, you know, we know on that trip, there were people who decided, you know, I think it's better for us back in Egypt. <laughs> it was easier. It was easier back in Egypt. And besides that, we always got food back in Egypt. Now we got this manna. We don't even know what it is. That's what manna means. What is it? And uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't even know what it is, and we go pick it up, and it tastes the same every week, and there's no even hot peppers and onions or stuff, you know? No taco sauce, you know? So anyhow, Taco Bell was closed that day. And uh, so we find that, you know, they're looking at this, and they have no concept of, of government and of leadership. And so that's why it, it's... it's um, I think it's easy to understand how that they would fall away so quickly because they were used to someone <laughs> lording over them and this is what you're going to do. And now they had, they had the ability to choose and they said, well, I choose nothing. And that's what they got. So Isaiah says, when you pass through the water, so he's, um, <laughs> you, you've, you've come out of Egypt now, I want you to remember this. You pass through the waters. He said, he said, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. So the, the protection of God, this is the, the, the waters can be speaking of the Red Sea and through the rivers of crossing over the Jordan River into uh, the, the promised land. And so you, you're looking at this and seeing how that God has brought you through these different places. And then he says, 
And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. Well, you know, so we've got, a, we've got quite a, a group of things going on here. Rivers and waters, deep waters and flames and fire. And the flames will not seize or will not set you ablaze. <laughs> we have the uncontrolled fires that out west where millions and millions of acres were burnt up by these uncontrolled fires. And so he's telling them to cease from worry, stop being afraid, don't panic, pray. I like that little phrase, don't panic, pray, pray. So he is reminding them of Egypt, coming out of Egypt, the Red Sea, going into, um, um, into, the, into the desert. They had to stay there 40 years to kind of get their life in order. <laughs> and uh, for the, imagine this, that they, the whole generation had to die in order for the new generation to kind of come to an understanding of what leadership and following someone is about. They had a, a whole generation of slave mentality. Slave mentality is um, being fed by God in the morning and ready to throw in the towel in the afternoon. And it's, you know, as many people died in the desert from grumbling and complaining as died from old age. <laughs> so we as Christians, some people never get out of the desert. You know, some individuals haven't found their way out of the desert because God has taken care of them, but they're grumbling and complaining all day. You know, there's something wrong with the leadership. There's something wrong. With, it's too hot. You know, it's too cold. You know, the, 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 can't God turn up the heat at night with that fire up there, you know, washing over us? You know, so they're complaining about everything. So they've come from bondage, and they've come out of bondage because he loves them. Now, for us... We need to take note of how much more will God take care of us who are the redeemed? And how much more will God help us move through the experiences of life and where we stop the grumbling and complaining and start trusting? And, you know, and, and, you know I know no one's going to be not. Yes, you are. You're going to be perfect and you're not going to grumble and complain. I might as well set that right out there, right? That, sorry, we got that made. Kira, right? Yeah, thank you very much. She was daydreaming. I could see it in her eyes. She was counting the, counting the boards on the rafters. I like to pick on some people. Verse 3. Isaiah says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your stead. So they are called a peculiar people, meaning that they are a separate people. They are people called apart from, the, from others. And uh, he has set them apart for a divine purpose. Now, uh, in Seba and Cush are two areas of land in Egypt. So they're kind of like the fertile, I guess, the fertile, better land. And so God has God told, um, told Isaiah here, you know, I've, I've made this ransom for you to purchase you. And I, I've, I've ransomed them for you to, to uh, get out of Egypt, to get out of, uh, uh, out of the, the bondage. And he has called them by name. So 
There's a million and a half people there, two million people. He's called them each by name. That's pretty good. He didn't even forget one. Must have a photographic memory. No, that was a joke. Um, so God has a particular, whenever we're saying that God knows us by name and he knows the hairs of our head and so on, what we're talking about is God has a particular intimacy with us that he uh, has a very great concern for each one of his children. He, um, he says they, they, are clutched, they are clutched by him, that he holds on to them, and that he is their God in this covenant relationship. God has made a covenant, a relationship, a guarantee with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. So God has established this covenant, this, and it's not a contract, this is, this is a covenant where the greater God has made an agreement with the lesser man, and he, God, has the <laughs> more to lose than man does, but is it, we're in some type of a contract like that. So he has this covenant relationship with us, and he says, verse 4, Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. The Message Bible says, when you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. You know, in the New Testament, it says, what should a prophet a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God is saying he's willing to sell the whole world for one soul. God, would, God is saying, I, I would give all of creation for just one of you. So that, you know, we, we turn it around, you know, what is the profit of man if he gained the whole world and loses his soul? God is saying that he would, he would sell the whole world to obtain you, to make sure that you are with him. So, verse 5, don't be afraid, for I am with you. It's, it's interesting how that the children of Israel and how many times God tells them oh, and throughout the scriptures, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid. And the challenge, they don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. They don't know where they're going. They don't, they don't, know, they don't know what <laughs> empire or who's going to attack them next. You know, what's going to happen. They, they, they live in a, a time of uncertainty. They don't have an active military that's, you know, ready to go to war and protect them at a moment's notice. They, they, have, they have to depend on God. And he's telling them, don't be afraid, for I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Fear not those that have God, neither their life. Re remember, God is for them, and you need not fear, because God is not against you. He is for you. And whenever we think of verse 6, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, he's calling them in. And we can see this in the nation of Israel throughout the world now, how that this prophecy of, of Isaiah, that God will cause and stir the hearts of, of, of the people of his covenant to draw them to Israel, to bring them back to their homeland. And, you know, he's, you know the, the nation of Israel continues to grow, and people are coming, coming in um, from all over the world to be part of, part of the nation. Verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind and who have ears and are deaf. <laughs> Here the language changes. He, he's saying, um, he's talking about people who are creating, making idols. And verse 9 says, All the nations gather together and the people, peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove their right, uh, so that others may hear and say it is true. The, the prophet is challenging them. Okay, you guys who make these gods, which one of them foretold what is going to happen? Which one of the gods that you made can tell us what's going to happen in the future? And he's saying that these false gods have no, at no time, period, or no place have done such things as God has done for the nation of Israel. And yet you find these people, these worshipers of idols, who they have called to, um, it's like, he calls them a little later, he says, it's like, I want, I want to make a god out of a, out of a stick or out of, out of a tree, wood or stone, create, a, create this god, and then I'm going to pray to it and worship. And it's okay, wait a minute now. How dumb are you? <laughs> you know, you created this thing, and you're going to pray to it. And you're going to pray that it, it answers your prayers. But it's nothing but a piece of wood. It's nothing but a stone. And whenever the, Bi the Bible talks about those dumb idols, <laughs> it's saying that they have, they have no purpose. They can't hear, see, respond. They're nothing but a piece of wood. They're nothing but pieces of stone. And... Um, they have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. And those that make them and trust in them are like them. They can't see or hear either. So he's trying to, like, trying to put the people in a position where they're saying, you don't get it. When you make an idol, you're making something out of your own hands, but it's not a god. Why would you worship it? Well... They have shaped, and uh, they have put this all together and affect the destitute of reason and common sense. They would never worship gods of their own making. <laughs> it's like, how can you be so dumb to make a god and then worship it? Verse 10. Well, verse 9. Let all the nations therefore be gathered together. Let them help one another. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God has formed, and nor will there be one after me. God is telling them, there, there's no God beside me. There's no God that was here before me, and there's no God after me because there is no other God. You know? 
So whenever we are making up this idea of gods and religions and, and so on that leaves out the scriptures and, and completely goes against what the, the text of the Bible states, you're making up things that don't exist. They're just ideas. They're just people's ideas of what they think that other people should follow. Verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. <laughs> Notice it says, I am. I am the Lord. I am the Lord and Savior. Apart from me there is no Savior. So the I am of Moses when God spoke to him, I am that I am. It's, it's like, you know, Jehovah God, creator, sustainer, the, the, the great God of gods is the I am. And he has spoken to you. And so every time we look at this, we too are part of that I am statement. I am with God and God is with me. The great I am, <laughs> the creator of heaven and earth, he is living inside of me. In verse 12 says, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. The challenge is, since you cannot but know and believe and understand, you must be ready to bear record. That because God has done so much for us, we bear record of what he has done. We, we, that's our testimony. <laughs> We talk about God. We talk about his goodness. Talk about the things that he has done. Verse 13. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can, who can reverse it? So whenever we're putting this all together in our life, God, his decisions and his grace and his mercy, the things that he's acting out in our life, who can, who can turn them around? No one. But when, so whenever we're going down the wrong path, God can turn it around to bring us on the right path, choosing the right ways. But he's saying that there, there, there's this way in which we are serving God, and he is the I am that gives this, this direction to us. And he says, you, uh, yes, verse 13, yes, and from ancient days I am, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can re reverse it? So, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he is the I Am. He is God, and there is none other beside him. There is none other like him. He takes us through the Red Sea, you know, takes us out of the bondage of Egypt, and it's like the forgiveness of sin, the blood of the doorpost on our lives. So whenever we ask Christ, the blood of Christ is applied to our lives and death passes over. When we come to the Red Sea, the, 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 the place where we seem trapped, well, that's like being baptized in water. Death to an old way of life, Egypt. Risen to a new way of life, the promised land. And that which pursues us, the Egyptians, that which would like to hold us captive as slaves, the sin of the past, is destroyed in the waters of baptism. Now, the water doesn't do it. It's the power of Christ. And so the power of Christ comes and, and crushes the, the enemy of our soul from the past. And so we rise to a new life in Jesus. 
And then, as we look on in verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down the fugitives, all the Babylonians, in the ships and so on. He's telling them, you know, Babylon's gone. We're going to take care of Babylon. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and God. And then we'll move down to verse 18. Forget the former things. Now, we've just spent the whole chapter remembering. So whenever we're looking at our life and we're looking at how that God has brought us step by step through all the difficult, you know, from the chap- previous chapter, we were, they were just going the wrong way and stubborn and whatever. Then we move into chapter 23 and starts coming together and the promises of God and how that God is going to, and remember this and remember this and remember this. What we're doing is establishing what God has done in our life and how that God has been good to us throughout our life. You know, running into the Red Sea did not seem like a good thing until the enemy was crushed by it. You know, and so in our lives, the enemy of our soul is being crushed by it. And then he says, forget the former things. Don't be preoccupied with what God has done. Look to what God is going to do. I'm going to do a new thing. And so it was, it was, it was something like, you know, look at the miracles, the, the manna in the desert, the, the, you know, the doorposts of the, the blood and on the doorposts and the deliverance from slavery and the open of the Red Sea and the 40 years in the desert and going in and taking the promised land and Jericho falling. Look at all these things. Okay, forget it. Because that's just a little foretaste of where I'm taking you now in your future. God brings up the past through the prophet, but he does so to remind them that God has done great things. And since he has done these great things, now with those miraculous miracles in mind, we turn and we see this is where I'm going and God is going to do a new thing. He's going to do a a different thing in our life. So he's not going to recreate the past. He's going to create the future. And so he has brought us to this place in time to look forward, to remember all the good things he has done, but to look forward because there are new things in our life. There are new opportunities, new proposals, new grandkids. There's lots of new things coming. And so we look for them that God is going to do a new thing. In verse 19, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That which seemed uncrossable, unaccessible, I have streams there for you. Don't get worried about the desert. Don't get worried about difficult times. I got this. Remember when. Now let's go this way. Go forward with our relationship with Christ. And <laughs> um, can you not see it? I am doing a new thing. So that's the challenge of this chapter. And that was the challenge of, of the message. That God is going to do a new thing. 
And what that new thing is, not really quite sure, but it's something, he's going to do something. And when God does something, he does it in a big way. <laughs> you know? Uh, opening the Red Sea is quite, a, quite an undertaking, but not for God. You know? Having manna come out of the sky every morning, you know, never been made since. Somebody lost the recipe. Oh, that's a joke. So anyhow, remember, God is going to do a new thing. And so when new things present themselves, hmm, don't shy away. Recognize God is, you know, see if God is behind this new thing in your life. God, we thank you for hearing our prayers and Lord, in your divine providence, you bring us to these places, these decisions, these places where we know that you have brought us, and God, we want to see your hand. We want to believe for the miracles. We want to believe for the new and the upcoming ways that you have before us. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the new thing that you are doing and for the renewal of our faith and the strength of our love for you and for one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.